Ben, you ever seen the movie Argo with Ben Affleck? No, I have I have never seen it. Okay, well, you've got a lot of time on your hands right now, so I'm going to recommend that you see it. It's uh, based on a true story, and there's like a scene at the end where they are uh, basically escaping a country, and like in the scene, as soon as the plane takes off, and there's just this sigh of relief. It's like they get out, and they've like snuck one past the goalie, and they're flying home, and, and they're, they're heading to safety. Like that's how I felt when I left Florida on, uh, I left on Thursday, as we record this now on Monday, March 16th. And you left later than me. So I can only imagine the relief you felt to get back to Canada. Yeah, it was really, you know, it was such a different kind of spring training. And obviously, spring training, you know, it should be set off the top is a very, very, very small concern in relation to everything that's happening globally right now. And, you know, that's, that's obviously the case. But when we started out and, you know, you and I were down there for a couple of days overlapping, it seemed mostly like it was about to be a normal spring training, even at that point, even in March. And so, yeah, to have things unfold that quickly, um, to, to realize the severity of this um, in the course of those few days, it was, it was crazy. Like it, it's nothing that I've ever seen before. I, I don't think anyone has ever seen anything like this before. And it was a huge relief to get back to Toronto after being away and um, under such bizarre circumstances for, for spring. Yeah, things escalated quickly, man. I remember like when I was down there for my couple weeks, um, like it was barely a topic, COVID-19 or coronavirus or any of this stuff. Like I remember listening to a podcast about it one day when I was driving to the park, actually, and they had an expert on like talking about how bad this thing could potentially be. And I was like, oh, man, you know, like that's that sounds rough. But like at the time, like it wasn't something that was like part of the daily conversation in North America, in Florida, like among people at the ballpark, like it wasn't something that anybody was really talking about. And then suddenly things escalated so quickly to the point where like, as we stand here now, like, yeah, we, we have zero baseball. We have zero spring training occurring. It's just this thing turned on a dime. Yeah. Baseball is canceled for now indefinitely <laughs> for at least two months. I mean, that's, that's, that's the extent of it. And that's the world that we're in. It's a baseball podcast you know, again, there are huge economic, social consequences outside of that. But even on a baseball level, baseball is canceled for two months. That's insane. We've never seen anything like that except for, you know, in our lifetime, there's the 1994 strike, which extended into 1995. But that was foreseeable in a sense, because you knew that the collective bargaining agreement was going to expire at a certain point. So there wasn't necessarily any sort of guarantee that they would keep playing. In this case, I mean, it really is like something out of a dystopian novel. And this is obviously unfolding still. We don't know where it's going to end up or how bad things are going to get. Hopefully everyone out there can stay safe and, and be as safe and responsible as humanly possible. But, it, you know, when, when you date back to arriving at spring training, like, and this seems, it, honestly, it sounds irresponsible now knowing what we do now. But arriving at spring training, I would see someone and I would like shake their hand and be like, hey, good yeah. to see you. Because that was the world that we're in. And then by the end of it, you're starting, oh, maybe it's a fifth bump. And then it's like, no way. Like, you're not going near anybody unless you absolutely have to. Well, yeah, that's how quickly it changed as well. Because, yeah, whenever I, you know, approach a player in the clubhouse for an interview, it's always extend the hand, handshake. Like, if, if I know the guy well, yeah, we, you know, might give a, a fist bump or something like that, like a pat on the back or, or the elbow or the shoulder or whatever. 
now <laughs> I wouldn't even think about it, you know, now, like, uh, having just returned from, from Florida, like yourself, like I don't go to public places, you know, I, I don't go to the office. I, the, the only time I'm leaving my house right now is to go for a, a little daily walk, which is like by far the highlight of my day. And that's just around the neighborhood. And if I'm walking and, and I see, um, you know, an elderly person on the same side of the street as me, I'm car I'm crossing the street. Like it's funny to think how quickly our lives have changed to this point and I'm sure you're going through something pretty similar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a it's a total lifestyle change. I mean, I'm spending way more time at home than than normal. I'm making every meal at home. Like you said, you go out for for a walk or hopefully the weather gets a little bit nicer, you start going out for a, a run maybe. Um, but not going to the gym, not going to to the work in the traditional sense of a workplace. Um, it's yeah, it's it's just totally, uh, totally different and totally different world for for us. For I'm sure for every single person listening to this, it's something that that we wouldn't have foreseen a month ago, and yet this is this is the world we exist in now and for the foreseeable future. And like I love working in coffee shops, like that's a huge thing for me, and like so that's been a massive adjustment just from a work standpoint. Like I'm. And I've got to change up my situation here because you know, I'm a few days into this and I'm like sitting right now at my kind of makeshift like station I've got for myself at my uh, at my dining room table here, as it were. And I've got all my work stuff scattered around and everything. But I've like realized today that I have a clear, direct path of vision at the fridge. And so I am like all day long looking up from my computer and being like, oh, hey, there's food in there. So like the caloric intake is just through the roof today and I'm going to need to like adjust this so that maybe I'm like looking outside or uh you know I don't looking at anything but where the food is well especially after taking pains to to stock up and make sure that you know there's there's a lot of good stuff in there I mean (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's definitely different on on so many levels including including the you know the day-to-day of like you said the coffees that you're how you make your meals the the workstations everything is totally different Oh yeah, the coffee intake is is high. Uh, the the grocery delivery service is, has been huge. Like that has been a game changer. The walk is huge. Like just getting and this is something I'd like recommend to anybody else who's kind of in our shoes right now. Like I know everybody's trying to practice social distancing as as much as possible. And like Ben and I are in this situation where we were just traveling, so it's like paramount that we yeah. stay in as much as possible. But like if you can just get up and take that like sixty to ninety minute walk around the neighborhood avoiding people as much as possible um that is such a good like just mental decompression and even just like don't take your phone with you and so you can't check twitter and like you can't refresh the news and like just getting away from this like constant 24 7 news cycle of updates on this thing which is like kind of slowly rotting all of our brains and which is great to know everything that's happening but also is like probably not good from an anxiety standpoint of knowing, you know, of kind of like watching the case count, like tick up one by one by one, uh, you know, across Ontario and Canada and the world. I would recommend it to everybody to like, just get out and just take a walk and be away from the technology for a little bit. Yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, you mentioned Twitter. And of course, for people like you and I, we're probably on Twitter all the time to begin with, whether we want to or not i you know have maybe a love hate with it normally i actually like twitter i I like getting the updates and i like getting my news from twitter but it's gone to a new level in the last little while where i am on twitter constantly because like you said you just need to know 
or you, you want to know what's happening in the world. And I would actually say you need to know what's happening in the world at this time. I don't, I don't even know that it's necessarily just something you want to know um, in the same way that I want to know if Vladdy went two for four or you know three for five. Like this, you actually need to know this information. So there's a, a real you know societal obligation and personal need to find this information out. But at the same time, you can't spend 24 seven on Twitter like you just you do have to get away. So whether it's a walk or whether it's cooking dinner or finding something to get away, like I, that's definitely going to become you know if if it's not super important already. Like imagine at the end of two weeks of self quarantine. I mean, it's going to be more intense at that point. Yeah, no kidding. Well, then we don't even really know what life's going to be like at, at that point, right? Like this week that we're in right now is so pivotal for like how this thing is gonna go and like we are all familiar with the the terminology here with you know flattening the curve and social distancing and self-isolation and and whether some of these measures are, are gonna work or not like in this week i think is so important to kind of find out if you know here in in canada you know wherever you're listening to this if if we're going to be uh italy or if we're going to be south korea you know or if we're going to be somewhere in the middle there um you know like a lot of folks are are going to get this thing uh and how many and how quickly is kind of the big thing that's at issue here and you know that's kind of the the tough part i think for all of us is just not knowing and not really knowing where this thing's going to go and how quickly it's going to escalate and and what's going to happen next and that's what does kind of get you addicted to checking social media and refreshing your news feeds and and you know how keeping that you know new york times ticker going um it's like my frame of reference for it is uh is 9 11 because that's the only other time in my life that i've like lived through something similar like this and i guess i would have been like uh 12 or 13 at the time and uh like i remember watching the tv news coverage of it and being like can i leave the room to like go get a snack or to you know uh, go use the washroom or am i going to miss something if i do like i remember it felt weird like walking away from the tv at that time like that's that's kind of how i feel about this right now Oh, for sure. Yeah, you don't want to miss any development, especially because a lot of these have the potential to impact, you know, our world around us, people we know, the kind of services that we rely on, the kind of work that we do, and and the things that we that we turn to for entertainment too. I mean, baseball. You know, I know it's just a much much smaller part of a of a huge societal issue here, but baseball is shifting rapidly too. Um, so you know, we end up following all this stuff, and it, it is just crazy how quickly things shift and how quickly our beliefs shift too. like the the terms that you mentioned like social distancing flattening the curve i honestly think like if you had said to me a week ago what does that mean i don't think i could have answered it like i don't think i could have told you what flattening the curve was a week ago but now i think everyone knows it and that's a good thing um but you know as i say that maybe not everyone knows it because you still do see these photos and clips of mass gatherings happening and you're kind of like that's just you know that's that's pretty irresponsible yeah i was gonna say you hope everybody knows it (laughs) i don't know how many people do or you know how many people are practicing it like uh you know i kind of think about you know how you and i were spending our time in florida um prior to this when like there's clearly evidence that you know this uh this virus was you know being spread around at that point in time and in that area of of the continent and you think about our days like we did the complete opposite of social distancing yeah you know we every single day went to ballparks right so went to places where thousands of random people 
were showing up and being in close proximity with each other. And, uh, you know, you and I were sleeping, living in hotels and eating all of our meals out, um, you know, from, uh, you know, in press boxes or at, uh, you know, whatever grocery stores and restaurants where who knows how many people were handling the food and how many people you're coming in contact with. And, you know, we're in and out of Ubers and rental cars. Like we, you know, we were doing the complete opposite of that and so when you kind of like like you said be, becoming familiar with kind of this lifestyle we've all had to adopt now it's been a complete 180 for for guys like you and i yeah exactly we're used to being in crowded spaces all the time like that's the norm if you're if you're covering baseball if you're going to a baseball game um and even spring training it's not quite the same scale as a regular season but even in spring training you'd have easily 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 people. And that's to say nothing of, you know, those buffet, you know, hotel breakfasts or media meals in the, in the afternoon. I mean, it, you know, looking back on it, you're kind of like, oh, it, it almost, you know, it becomes pretty uncomfortable. And of course, with that being said, that is the reason that we're in self-quarantine now. And, you know, that's, that's the way, the way it should be. But, you know, this is, this is bigger than just um, spring training too. This is in a lot of ways the way that we've lived our lives in in public spaces, whether it's in Toronto or spring training or anywhere else. And I, I have a sense that probably a lot of that is about to change, just as far as the standards that we have. The um, you know whether it's standards of hand washing or standards of handshaking or just you know these different rituals, these different customs and um, expectations that we have. Like this might be a big turning point for a lot of that stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned like even after, you know, everything that we just talked about and working the long hours that we were and not sleeping enough and experiencing the stress that we were, uh, oh, then we went and crossed through, you know, a couple airports and uh, with like a four hour flight in between. So uh, that's not great. Um, but let's let's talk about like your last day in Dunedin, or I guess your second last day, like basically the day that the the hammer came down when spring training was canceled when games were put on hold when you know this all came to a halt like what was that day like because the blue jays started playing without you know at a point where everyone kind of understood that this was going to come to an end and and other leagues had taken steps to halt or postpone their activities but baseball was for a couple hours continuing yeah it was a completely bizarre day i mean i think by that point, there was this clear sense that things were shifting and shifting really, really quickly. Because even by then, NBA had had decided to suspend its season. The NCAA tournament was was canceled or suspended. So there was this sense of momentum as far as what was happening with baseball and and with the NHL schedule as well. And so, even with that happening, it was more or less a normal morning you know, to some extent, um, where I showed up, I interviewed Danny Jansen for a piece that was about his offense. So, you know, and I had put the request in the previous night, said, Hey, I want to talk to Danny Jansen about his offense, because this is essentially one of the emerging trends of spring training. He's having a great spring. You know, I'm looking for stories at that point. And great, I'll write about him. So the interview starts, but of course, at that point, you kind of start by talking about what was happening with COVID-19. And I am six feet away from him at this point. There's no contact. They've already implemented these measures to be safely distanced from the players. So talk about him, talk with him about that for a couple minutes, and then move on to the baseball stuff. 
which in hindsight is kind of crazy that we're sitting there talking baseball when it was about to be canceled. But there, there we were. And then as players kind of continued coming out throughout the, throughout the morning, and we're not allowed in the clubhouse at this point, understandably, but players keep coming out. And that was really what they were talking about, whether it was you know, guys just walking past casually on their way to the field for batting practice. But they were, you know, clearly that was the, the focus and it was starting to shift pretty rapidly. But the game began. I mean, that was the crazy thing is that both games began, actually, with the Blue Jays playing in Bradenton as part of a split squad and playing in Dunedin against the junior national team. Both games were playing. And this is as Major League Baseball officials are meeting to essentially suspend the season indefinitely. The Blue Jays were still playing two games in front of thousands of people. And so even after the announcement came through, the games continued. And of course, at that point, it's just this kind of collapse of energy. I mean, everyone everyone knows that things are changing quickly. Nobody knows exactly what to expect. There are lots of questions. But, you know, it was a very draining day. And, you know, personally, you think of our jobs as being a lot of fun, which they are. And you think of spring training as being a place that's really relaxed, and normally it is. Everyone there is stressed out for various reasons, whether it's their health and safety of their families, whether it's their well-being, trying to make a roster, um, or just the uncertainty of it. So it, it ended up being a day that you know I, I don't think there's any comparable for, really, as far as days that I've had around a baseball park. It was kind of the start of MLB, just uh, in, in my opinion, being late on all of this. Like They were one of the final leagues to, to shut down operations. And then they came out and said, well, you know, we're only going to cancel the first couple weeks of the season. And like everyone that you talked to, it was just was just laughing at that and just saying, like, there's no way this is starting back up on on April 9th. And, you know, now just today, they've taken the step to say, well, yeah, we're, we're going to recognize the, uh, you know, the recommendation to uh, not have gatherings of over 50 people for, for eight weeks. So now they've at least pushed it back to um, that would be mid to late May. But I'm not even expecting, you know, baseball games to be played with with crowds or at all until June. And like we could even be looking at July here, Ben. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible, right? Like you think about how teams are themselves kind of a living, breathing mass gathering at any time, especially in spring. You have dozens of players, maybe 50 at this point. Um, or, or even more, because the Blue Jays really haven't cut that many players. Then you have coaches, you have support staff, you have PR people, you have front office officials. So you're very, you clear 100 easily. So that's a big gathering. Then you bring in other teams, media, you bring in fans. So, you know, at this point, yeah, I mean, that, that eight-week period would seem to be some sort of a minimum threshold. But to even hold spring training, there has to be a, a comfort from a health standpoint that it's safe to have potentially 100 or 200 people at one facility at the same time. And at this point, we don't have any kind of guarantee that that would even be the case. So I think it's optimistic to think that you could start spring training within that period of time. You know, let's say spring training resumes in May, you go for two, three weeks. I mean, that's June at the earliest, but it's not a stretch at all to think that July, you know, typically the midseason mark for baseball could be the point where the season actually begins. On that final day of, uh, of baseball for a while, like, did you have the sense that players were kind of reserved to the fact that they are resigned, I should say, to the fact that this is going to be the final game, like this is going to be it? Or were they even just as confused as what was going on as, as maybe the rest of us? 
Well, you know, I think in much the same way that our views have evolved on this really rapidly, like almost, it's almost in real time, like hour by hour, we get more information and then we adapt our views. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone's really particularly well served by being stuck in a, in a certain viewpoint that we might have held three weeks ago or three days ago, because these things are shifting really quickly. And in the conversations that I had with players that held true with them as well. I mean, even as the week progressed, you could sense the players were viewing this differently. Um, and you saw in some of the public comments from guys like Bryce Harper, or Blake Snell, you know, they're saying stuff like, hey, if I get it, I get it. Or, you know, I'm not worried. And I, I understand there's maybe, a, there's maybe a tendency to pile on comments like that. And of course, like it's in hindsight, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't play well. It doesn't, it's not a good look. But at the time, you can kind of get it. And if they were saying that today, then that would be a different story. But that what there was that sentiment at the time that, hey, let's play on, like, let's, let's just keep going. It's not that big of a deal. Um, there, there was that sentiment. But I do think that that started to shift pretty quickly. And I assume I don't, you know, I haven't been around the players in the last little while. So I don't know. But I assume that that's continued to, to shift just as it has through every pocket of society. But certainly on that last day, whatever it was, Thursday was, I think, the final full day. That was, there was a clear sense that things were shifting quickly, even among the, even, even in the ways the players were responding to this news. Well, and then you're dealing with some hyper competitive individuals and some people who have gotten to where they're at because they, you know, they don't look at obstacles as, okay, let's take a step back or, you know, let's not power through. Like, you know, the athletes uh, are people who are driven to push through like some pretty remarkable things. Like Hunjin Ryu pitched with a, you know, a, a, a torn labrum in his shoulder for, a very long time like that's incredibly painful uh and then ended up having to miss a you know a, a couple seasons because of it you know we've heard of players playing on you know partially torn acls or you know frayed ligaments in their their elbows you know how long has tanaka pitched with like a, a ucl the doctors are just kind of like marveled at um you know so it, any kind of obstacle like that like i understand the player's initial response of like, oh, that's okay. If I get it, I get it. Whatever. Like, we got a season to prepare for. Even, you know, people have, uh, you know, kind of, uh, people have, who have tried to put themselves in players' shoes when they've been given these three options um, for what to do now of do you stick around at the spring training facility? Do you go to your team's home market and work out there? Or do you just go home? And there's a lot of people are just saying, like, of course I would just go home. Like, get out of there. Everybody needs to social distance and, and go home. But when you think about, player motivations a lot of them are thinking no i want to keep working you know like i i, I put a lot of work in this off season and, and i got ready for this regular season and and i'm ready to go i want to be here showing uh mlb and showing my league that we're ready to play and we want to do this i understand those motivations just knowing players um uh, the way that i do of course as you said like the information that we have learned over the last few hours <laughs> few days has uh you know obviously stands in, in stark contrast to doing anything like you know what players might be motivated to do and i think that they're they're slowly i'm sure accepting that and and realizing that you also got to real you know think about where a lot of these guys are from and, and where we even were um in spring training in the southern united states like just walking around florida i i remember being like this was in my kind of like last 24 hours there when, you know, uh, stuff was really hitting the fan. I remember just kind of being amazed at how cavalier 
a lot of um, Americans were being about it, you know, and and some of the jokes people were making about it, and you know, mocking the the hand washing and the use of sanitizers, and you know, just how um, yeah, cavalier is really the word I would use for it. And I don't know if that's still the case. I haven't been in Florida for uh, you know three or four days here, but uh, you know, a lot of it depends on you know how you were raised, where you get your information. We're really fortunate here in Canada to have some of the, the sources of information that, that we do and uh, some of the objective analysis that, that we get. It's not that case, every, you know, it's, that's not the case everywhere. Um, so, you know, I, like that, you, you do kind of have to realize like the environment and, and the surroundings and the circumstance that can kind of lead to some attitudes like those. Yeah, absolutely. Even today I saw a bit of a worrying clip of Clearwater Beach, which seemed to be rather full, uh, considering considering the circumstances. I would say that was my same experience in Florida. It just seemed like people were pretty, you know, almost, I don't want to say indifferent, because, um, you know, you don't know what's going on between the ears, but there, there weren't outward signs of panic or of, of you know, changed behavior in the way that you know our society is just full of those right now here in here in toronto here in canada you know you you follow on on any sort of social media clip or you follow the news and it's it's apparent just how quickly things have shifted here and and hopefully that's the case pretty soon within within north america and and the, the world to the extent that we need it yeah, hopefully. It's like I said, man, you can be Italy or you can be South Korea, right? You know, yeah. in Italy, it was very similar where, you know, people did not take it as seriously as they needed to. And we're still gathering in, in you know, large amounts in public places and, and we're not um, enacting some of the strategies that, uh, you know, you and I have been been talking about over the, the course of this podcast. And, uh, you know, we, we have seen a rather startling uh, death rate, frankly, in Italy. And then you've got a place like South Korea, which took some you know, pretty progressive steps and enacted a lot of widespread testing. And I'm kind of writing about this for, uh, for sports.ca tomorrow morning. I spoke to a, a foreign player who's playing over in a Canadian, actually Jamie Romag is playing over in, in Korea about what it's been like there. And he told me, you know, about some of the drive-through testing that they have over there and, and some of the, you know, the, the ways they've been able to uh, combat this thing and contain it. And life is, you know, more or less outside of some, you know, areas where there have been like out clusters of outbreaks. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of those areas, I mean, life has more or less gone back to normal. And, you know, people are in schools and, and you know, he's telling me about how he's going to restaurants and grocery stores are well stocked and they aren't, you know, being overrun with people. So it's two directions this thing can, can go in. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly hopeful that... You know the part of the United States that we were in uh, is is erring more towards the the, the direction where uh, this thing doesn't get out of control. Yeah, exactly. As of now, still just that one case known, right? The Yankees minor leaguer. Um, so you know, as far as known cases, it you know it seems like um, Florida hasn't been overrun with those. Uh, the baseball world has not been has not been overrun. But man, you, you think about the proximity that these players are in. You think about the the way this um, this virus is spreading, and it certainly wouldn't be a surprise if uh, if there are more if there are more cases that just aren't known at this time. Yeah, you can't know about the cases if you don't test for them. 
Uh, yeah. That is a pretty big issue south of the border uh, right now. Let's uh, let's step away. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of the uh, ramifications, some of the fallout here for MLB and just what baseball might look like when it eventually uh, returns sometime this, uh, we hope, late spring, but uh, very likely sometime this summer. All that and more when we come back on At The Letters. All right, so Ben, I uh, I asked this question uh, of you today on the website on Blue Jays Confidential, and people can go uh, read that at sportsnet.ca and see how you and I and Shai Davidi and Jeff Blair and Mike Wilner uh, felt about this. But let's just make a very very big assumption here because we we're working with the information that we have now, and you know as we talked about in the first half, like things are changing, you know day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Let's work with a very big assumption that baseball does resume sometime in june early july what does that look like how do they start this thing back up man that's a that's a really good question i mean until we know exactly how much of a season major league baseball is is working with it's it's tough to answer with a lot of precision but i do think that we can at least we can at least make informed guesses about some of how the season will come together. Um, and, and I think that the short version of this is that it will obviously be a season unlike anything we've ever seen before on so many levels. The draft, MLB, um, All-Star Game, MLB trade deadline, potentially extending into the playoffs, potentially extending into the offseason, um, how things like arbitration are handled, service time, salaries. So there are so many implications of this from a between the line standpoint um and i think it starts with spring training because these guys were down in florida for a full month and it's you know it's obviously a reminder of just how unnecessarily long spring training is but these guys were down there for a full month and yet they're going to be on pause now for two months so that's essentially going to undo any of the work that anyone did just as these guys were getting their timing back just as these guys were starting to say, hey, I'm ready for the season to start. Let's get this going. Well, this season is on complete pause. So I think at minimum, you need two, three weeks. I mean, it's it would be nice if these guys could ramp up sooner. And I know that owners will be economically motivated to get the real games going soon. But I, you know, I don't know if you, you see it differently, but to me, like you've got to have two weeks, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more than that to get these guys ready. Absolute minimum when you're thinking about pitchers who, as you know, they are not going to be able to maintain their their arm strength and the point to which they've built up to this point over the next however many weeks that that they are sidelined here. So at minimum, I would say three weeks. Honestly, I mean, yeah. two weeks even is is quite rushed but you know you mentioned it i mean there's going to be some pretty serious motivations to get regular season baseball going you know once again like every um every missed regular season game is like costing leagues and teams revenue you know from media rights deals from ticket sales from game day operations um and even from the players perspective i mean they're not getting paid until the regular season starts, you know, like I, I think most fans know this, but if you don't like players aren't paid during spring training, they get a, a daily stipend, but they, you know, their actual contract, the cycle doesn't begin until the regular season does. And it's actually tied to regular season games. So like 
for players' perspectives, um, you know, for guys who make a lot of money and guys who, you know, made big bonuses in, in the draft, uh, you know, they might not be such a big concern for them. But for the majority of players, I mean, they're going to want to get these paychecks rolling again, you know, particularly guys on the kind of fringes of major league rosters and, and minor leaguers. So everybody's going to be motivated to get this thing started, but just, you know, how to manage that uh, from uh, just a workload standpoint, it's going to be really fascinating to watch play out. You know, I, I kind of wonder, you know, if they do have this condensed second spring training of two to three weeks, I kind of think that the league has to allow teams to carry at least two, if not four, extra players, primarily pitchers, um, throughout the first 30 days of the regular season, maybe even longer, just so that you can even piggyback pitchers in games because um, you're just not going to have starters built up to a point where they're able to throw 9,500 pitches in an outing. I mean, you're going to have guys you know, going out there with, with pitch limits of uh, you know, even 65 aggressively. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's imagine that it's three weeks, okay? So then that would give uh, you know, players, we'll say, or starting pitchers, potentially three outings, but they're going to be starting from a pretty low base again. So let's say they go maybe 45 pitches and then maybe 60 pitches, maybe 75 pitches in the exhibition games. They're just getting up to that, to the point that they can go four or five innings by the time the regular season starts. So I think that's a pretty reasonable measure to put in place, you know, have extra pitchers around, you know, potentially extra position players around depending on on how um, on, on how the, the league wants to do things. But but clearly, you, you have to accommodate for that. And I think that the league would probably be open to that. The Players Association obviously would be open to that. And it doesn't have to be for, for you know, the rest of time. I mean, I, I was saying to someone earlier today, it's almost like they need a new CBA just for the 2020 season now <laughs> because yeah. everything is affected. Everything from a player's paychecks like you were saying and you know it's unclear exactly if, if that's going to happen but um their their pay service time all these different things potentially teams will have to play more games in a short period of time than they've ever done in the last decades so if you're doing that you probably have to accommodate by allowing extra players to be on the roster so you're not tiring guys out too much it really it really does affect absolutely everything and, and again, I mean, until we know exactly what a potential start date looks like, all of this is, is mostly hypothetical, but I think it's still, have, it's still worth having the discussion of what it might look like. Yeah, there's, there's just a million reverberations of this, like you said, like service time. Yeah, like that's a huge one, right? Like how many days of service are you going to need for a year of service in this season if you only end up playing, you know, I don't know, 84, 110 games, uh, whatever it ends up being. Like this is stuff that, you know, affects Super 2. It, you know, look, when's the trade deadline going to be? You know, is there going to be an, an all-star break? How many off days? Our guys going to have? Are there going to be more double headers that that uh, players going to have to play in order to squeeze the season? And is the season going to be extended? Um, you know, into October or November? Like, are we going to see playoff games played at you know neutral sites with domes in November? And are is baseball still going to be going into winter? And then how will that affect players' abilities to prepare for the twenty twenty one season? when you would think things would be going back to normal. You're going to be dealing with condensed off-seasons at that point, and that you'd think that would have an impact. I mean, like, every time I think about this thing, Ben, like, I think of, like, another 
area that I haven't even considered before. So like, you're right. They almost do need to draft like a temporary CBA, like a temporary set of considerations just for this, um, ju- just for this unique circumstance because everything has to change. Yeah. And it starts with the, it starts with the revenue, of course. I mean, you think about baseball as being, let's say a $10 billion industry. Well, they're going to try to get everything that they can. Um, they're going to, going to try to get as much as they can. But realistically, this stoppage, this pause, will cost Major League Baseball's owners and players and stakeholders billions of dollars. There will be billions of dollars lost because of this. And that's that's worth it. That's Of course, that's worth it. That's you know absolutely a, a concern that's way down the list. But you know, as long as we're talking baseball, that's one of the things that comes to mind. And also... You know, you think about it from, and, and again, this is, it almost, it almost feels a little crass to be talking about between the lines stuff. So right. I'm, I'm acknowledging that as I say this, but um, you think about the Toronto Blue Jays and their chances in 2020 going into this year on our preview podcast, as we were ramping up to the season, we're saying, yeah, they might be a 500 team. Well, is it easier for a 500 true talent team to overachieve for 80 games or overachieve for 160 games i'd say it's easier to overachieve in 80 or 100 games so in a weird way there's going to be more randomness not only for the blue jays but for other teams that are maybe on the fringes it'll be easier for them to jump up and enter that playoff discussion yeah i should uh i should do this and look at like where the standings were the last few seasons after 80 games or after 100 games because then, and obviously, like things would change with teams knowing that you know games seventy to seventy to eighty are pivotal, right? And and could change things. And with the race occurring then, instead of you know in those seasons, obviously teams are just kind of going through the motions at that point. But it would be an interesting experiment to kind of see, like, hey, if the season had ended after eighty four games last year, who would the playoff teams have been? Yeah, and it will be very different than the actual playoff teams, I would think. So. You know, all those things are are impacted. We're going to see an MVP maybe win win the win the MVP with you know whatever it is, twenty five homers and and seventy one RBI. Like it's everything's <laughs> going to be totally thrown off. Um, and and it's you know it's going to be one of those bizarre seasons, kind of the way nineteen ninety five would be when you look back at it, or even more so nineteen eighty one, where they had the split season and it was interrupted mid season. They played the All Star game in August. I mean. That might honestly be the closest thing that we have to any kind of a precedent for what's about to happen here. And I think that, like, in a sense, and like again, it's trivial to even talk about stuff like yeah. this, but it's where we're at. It's it's almost like a gift this season a little bit because you get to like MLB could take this opportunity to just blow things up and get weird, right, and just run a bunch of guinea pig scenarios. Um, with, you know, no worry of grieving anyone who's, you know, a traditionalist or, you know, who thinks the thing should be a certain way because the season's going to inherently be different. There's, you know, no matter what, it is going to stand in stark contrast to just about every season that came before it with the exception, like you said, of, you know, 95 and 81. But I mean, you know, beyond times like that, like you have to go back to like World War One when things were really different in, in baseball. So, um, you know, like, wh- why not? What you know, like, I, 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 I wrote about this today on the website. Like, I, you know, I've wanted a shortened regular season for a long time. I've wanted to realign divisions. I've wanted to expand the playoffs. 
why not do all those things this year? You know, like why not change everything and run a bunch of experiments and see what works and say, look, in 2021, we'll go back to the regular stuff. We'll go back to the 162 and, you know, the regular playoff format and the divisions and and this, that, and the other. Uh, But why not just take this opportunity to, you know, test some of these elements and maybe learn something about them. And then maybe you end up saying, hey, maybe they all that, that actually worked out. You know, maybe we should incorporate that going forward. Like I, you know, I just think it, MLB has this cool opportunity right now to try some different stuff with, you know, really very little consequence. And even from a, a fan perspective, you think about when when baseball finally comes back in, in June, July, whatever it is, like people are just going to want to be entertained. You know, people are just going to be happy to have baseball back. They're going to want to see fun baseball. Um, they're not going to want to hear about service time or, you know, some of these things we're talking about, you mm-hmm. know, contracts and, and anything like that. They're just going to want to see entertaining, fun baseball. And I think that MLB could really play into that by, you know, trying out some some new strategies and, you know, just with how the season plays out and then what the playoffs look like. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thought, especially with the schedule, right? Because, you know, 162 happens to, you know, they, they've aligned it so that you can have these different um, these different norms. You have obviously a lot of intradivisional play. So the Jays playing heavily within the AL East depending on the number of games that Major League Baseball ends up working with. And, you know, at this point, I'd say best guess is, I'd say maybe 100 to 120. Seems like, you know, that would be a pretty good case scenario if they can get that many games in. But the numbers will just play out differently. So you might not have the same chance to play three home and three away series against everyone within your division. It might be, as you were suggesting um, in in the article, maybe it's just, hey, everyone's going to play everyone once at home and once on the road. And we'll see who ends up in the in the top of the league standings at the end of the year. Yeah, what I kind of advocated for was, uh, you know, everybody play. You just play within your your own league, and you know that that would be. I understand that, like the way things are now, you always have to have an interleague series, so maybe it's not even possible. But um, you know, I would do. Everyone plays, like you said, everyone plays everyone else once on home, once on the road. See where everyone finishes up, um, and then within each league, like take your top four finishers, and they get to pick which of the next four finishing teams uh, in order that they want to play. You know, so the the first place team gets to finish which of that group from uh, five to eight uh, they want to play, and second gets to pick, and third gets to pick, and fourth gets to pick, and there's your first round matchups. And you can, if you want to get through that first round quickly, you can make it like a three game series played entirely in the ballpark of the higher seeded team uh first first team to win too um so you know then you still have that advantage of of finishing higher in the standings because you're picking who you get to play and you're getting to host the entire series in your own ballpark um but you could have some really cool exciting baseball there and then you also wouldn't lose that kind of do or die um fun element that we've seen recently with the wild card games and then from there, just go on with kind of a, a regular playoffs. And like maybe you don't even award the World Series this year. Like maybe you just treat it as like uh, just a one-off tournament this this shortened season. Um, just so the traditionalists can't say, well, you know, that World Series champion isn't really legitimate. Or, you know, they only played so many games to, to qualify for the postseason. Like just call it something completely different uh, and just make it a one-off experiment. And like I, I keep coming back to this, like people are just going to want fun when this comes back. 
They're just going to want entertainment and excitement. And I think that anything, then it's not just MLB, anything that any league, NHL, NBA, whatever you like to watch, anything that any league can do to kind of harbor that entertainment and make the product more fun when it comes back is going to be really, really crucial. Yeah, and you want it to be good good TV because I think there will be a lot of people maybe who have second thoughts about going out to the ballpark or going to public places, uh, depending on you know how quickly everything is resolved and depending on you know what what public health looks like and what those standards look like a few months from now, which obviously is hard to predict. But yeah, it's I, I agree. You want to keep it entertaining. I mean, I think they're they're going to award the World Series. I think that would be a really tough sell. Um, so the, I think they'll be balancing that line between keeping it somewhat in step with what we've seen before um, and then therefore giving the World Series legitimacy, but also balancing that with this this chance, as you're saying, this opportunity to try some different things and not be stuck in the formulas that have that have been um, that have that have been in existence for such a long time. Yeah, and you mentioned you know maybe some reticence to go out to the ballpark when this thing starts back up, and that's a really good point. You know, like people are going to be a, a little squirrely about going out in public. And we talked about it in, in the first half about how this you know a lot of behaviors are probably going to change over the next couple of months, uh, you know, as this thing uh, develops and, and plays itself out. Like, you know, we're obviously in for a, a rather um, long event here that, that we're going to be living through. And yeah, I do think the behavior is going to change. And yeah, maybe, you know, we, we MLB attendance was already declining. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's, uh, you know, you'll see that initial boost probably when it first comes back. So everyone wants to be there for the first game. But then you might still, you know, see that that drop off as uh, people don't really want to be in public places uh, at that time. And there might still be some fears, especially if we're talking about, you know, June, July, there might still be some fears that um, an outbreak could come back, even if it seems like things are are contained. Right. It would only take, you know, one um, irresponsible person and, and, you know, to 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 create that chain reaction again. So yeah, I do think entertainment's gonna be paramount and getting people to watch on TV is gonna be paramount. There's just you know, it's like I was saying earlier, every time I think about this thing, I think about these like unintended consequences and these, you know, kind of byproducts of of what is happening here. Like I even, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but we should. I think about minor leaguers right now yeah. who, you know, you think about the guys who we all hear the stories about minor leaguers who are like driving for rideshare programs or like, you know, delivering food during off seasons and then they get back into spring training camp and they are counting on these paychecks to come in uh, starting at the end of uh, end of March, early April, whenever the season starts and those paychecks are not going to be there anymore. So now these minor leaguers who have all been sent home, by the way, if you're not on the 40 man, you have been sent home. They have to now find living situations because they had probably already had something figured out or they were going to figure something out for the season to find living situations. They have to f- figure out money. They probably have to go back to try to find jobs. And they're going to be trying to find those jobs in a very uh, depressed economy, in a very struggling um, climate, in a tough climate, tough economic job climate right now to try to go find that gig work and, and try to go make some money. I think we're going to see a real bleed off of minor league players and guys who have to retire from this game and guys who aren't able to maintain the conditioning and stay in shape to be able to get back at it whenever baseball resumes, just because circumstances are going to be so tough for them over these next uh, couple months. 
yeah, as they are for for people kind of across the the economy, right? And in all so many different jobs that are now being um, maybe dialed back or limited or or completely shut down, and, and minor leaguers are are a part of that. So absolutely, that's going to be a challenge for those guys to kind of keep their conditioning up to try to make that team or try to earn a spot in that AAA rotation, whatever the case. And yet you maybe didn't sign for big money. You certainly don't have a lot of money coming in. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a huge challenge. Um, and then, so as a, as an organization, then the blue Jays are in a position where, you know, if you're them, maybe you think about trying to help those guys out to some extent, because if they are part of your future, if you do really value them, then this might be a chance to help them out a little bit and make sure that they don't have to put themselves in a situation where they're, you know, maybe unnecessarily exposing themselves to risks at the at the most extreme, or at the very least, spending a lot of time doing something that's not advancing their career. Yeah, well, the Blue Jays stress the importance of development with their minor leaguers. Like I would argue that the uh, develop, you know, the environment they're about to enter is uh, <laughs> it's, it's not great for development. Uh, you know, personal or otherwise, um, you know, even think about the impact on some of the, the part-time or, or seasonal employees, not only at the ballpark in Toronto, but, you know, in Dunedin and, you know, concession staff and stadium security and you know, people who are paid by the hour. I mean, the, the reverberations of this thing, like they just go all the way down the chain like you you something like this happens like you really do realize like what a monster uh mlb is and i mean that like just how many people are involved in it and how many people are relying on it for their livelihood um and the impact when it, it goes away yeah it's hard to fathom certainly uh yeah certainly a huge difference compared to where we were even a week ago so it's uh, it's 5.05 p.m. Eastern, Ben, and the, the sun is rapidly setting, and it is time for me to leave my house for the first time today. Oh, man. A little bit of vitamin D. <laughs> you, you were talking about that walk, so now it's now it's time to go out there and, and definitely enjoy that. So it's good to talk to you. Uh, I imagine I'm going to be talking to you a bit more uh, over the phone here in, in the coming weeks, but uh, enjoy your isolation, my friend. All right, man. Enjoy that walk. We'll talk soon. Be well. <laughs>